Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in, and happy Thanksgiving season. Today, a special Stand Up For The Truth podcast as we share some of the recordings we made when I was in Colorado with J.B. Hickson at his church, Plum Creek Chapel. There was a Q&A, and we talked about the percentage of churches in America today really preaching the Bible Bible prophecy is their hope for revival. I was asked, what's the biggest concern people have when they write or email me? What do you think about the similarities about the COVID vaccine and the mark of the beast and revelation? These questions and more, J.B. Hickson and I tackle on this edition of Stand Up For The Truth. Enjoy. All right. Well, we want to welcome you to Plum Creek Chapel and so delighted to have David Fiorazzo from Stand Up For The Truth. You live in uh, the Green Bay area, is that yes, right? Yes, sir. I'm sorry. A couple of miles so, south of yeah, Green Bay. That's yes. okay. Well, we'll forgive you. Yeah. Um, and uh, But man, I, he's just become a dear friend and really, I've had the privilege of being on the show there. David is an expert in, in Christian culture. And I say that because as the host of Stand Up For The Truth, he interviews top pastors, evangelical leaders, Christian leaders from across the country. We do uh, have some of his latest book. He's written several books. His latest book is uh, called Canceling Christianity. You've heard me talk about it before at Not By Works Ministries. We include this when we travel and speak over the last year. A great book that just sort of talks about some of the unique things that we're facing in our culture today, like Obviously, the cancel culture, uh, critical race theory. Uh, what are some of the other topics you deal with in there? Oh, my goodness. The Great Reset, which yeah, you oh, talk yeah. a lot about. Yeah. Um, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. Uh, talk about um, the, the pro-life movement and the challenges there politically. Uh, policies, platforms, and procedures. Mm. What does that mean? Uh, the fact that a lot of Christians have fallen away from researching things from a biblical worldview and then applying that to their politics and how they vote. Um, If you're not doing that and you just voted the way your family has always voted, I call that idolatry because you're putting something else above God in the Bible then. If you're not going to the Bible and saying, okay, here's what the Bible teaches, but here's what that particular candidate or party believes or endorses, um, so I read a lot about that because that's one of the problems with in the church, social justice and uh, critical race theory. I touch on that. I touch on the education um, industry, not industry, um, entertainment industry and the education uh, in America that's uh, just been hijacked by the left going on probably 75 plus years. Um, and also the big tech media conglomerate, the one party big tech media. I talk a lot about that because... I personally have been censored, shadow banned. Um, my new book, we tried to, I have a very small publisher with no marketing uh, department, and we just tried to put something I did on Facebook. Six times I was rejected for just trying to put an ad out. And on our Stand Up For The Truth Facebook page, it's been shadow banned for years. I don't know if you're familiar with what shadow banning is, but that's when they allow you the kindness, right? They allow you to post something, but nobody can see it. That's called shadow banning. Yeah. They, so I can see something that's posted, but for example, a podcast with J.B. Hickson. We will post that a couple hours after we record the podcast. And we have approximately 24,000, 25,000 people that like the page, fans, or people that want to follow or are interested in Stand Up For The Truth. An average of four people like the podcast, and it's not JB. That's well, that could be. Podcast. I mean, that, that actually might make sense. I don't know. No, that, that's every podcast. Yeah, yeah. Every podcast. It's, if it gets over 10 likes or shares, that's amazing. So that's shadow banning. When you've got that many people that are interested in what you're doing, mostly Christians, of course, but don't get to see it on their newsfeed. So that's what happens. So um, we're in a dangerous place when it comes to free speech, and I talk also a lot about religious freedom. 
one of the most important topics in the last two years, probably. Yeah, we've experienced the same thing at Not By Works Ministries, especially a lot of the stuff we did on uh, Spirit of the Antichrist a year ago, and then more recently, uh, what in the world is going on. So we gave up Facebook, or gave up, we've never been on Facebook, but we gave up YouTube a mm. uh, long time ago, and now we, we host all of our own stuff right at notbyworks.org. Um, but uh, it's unfortunate because YouTube, uh, such as it is, used to be a, a, a helpful medium to find and research all mm-hmm. kinds of topics. You yep. know, to really a lot of the truth movement in any subject, not just Christianity, you could go to YouTube and you could find uh, videos about it. But now they've been banned, they've been taken down, or the shadow banning also is when you search for stuff and it doesn't come up in the searches, even though it's there. Oh, on Google. Uh, yeah. yeah, Google bottom. Yeah, yeah, of course, Google owns YouTube, and, and of course, the CIA owns Google. So anyway, uh, no, that's true. One of the, the questions I thought I would ask, and I don't know if you can narrow it down to one answer or not, but feel free to kind of elaborate, but given your exposure and experience with dealing with Christian leaders from all across the country, what do you think is the single greatest threat to the church in America today? Oh, that's tough. Yeah, I'm sure. You asked me a similar question last night, and the first thing I thought of was apathy. But there's more to it than that. It, it is so uh, intertwined with all the, 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 the progressive Christianity, the social uh, justice apostasy that has invaded modern evangelical churches. And it's just the greatest threat. Um, false teachings, obviously, mm-hmm. um, that we have fallen for, and now we don't even know. Um, but one thing that, that came to mind as I was thinking about your question this morning and this question here is the fact that we don't recognize spiritual warfare and don't live as if we have an enemy of our souls. And I I finished my book, chapter 15. The last chapter in my book is on Nehemiah chapter 4. And the the chapter title is um, Working for God, Ready for Battle. And the modern evangelical church lives as if we're on a cruise ship, not a battleship. The reality is we are in battle. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have written about the armor of God and spiritual warfare. And the, with the Antichrist, spirit of the age, alive and well, one of the greatest threats in the church is the biblical illiteracy, the lack of discernment, and that we don't recognize things from a biblical, spiritual perspective. We're looking too much into this world because maybe people love this world. And you know what the scripture says about that, you know, if you love this world, it's so... Yeah, so, uh, you know, Nehemiah 4, for those who don't know, isn't that the passage where they've got a a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other, basically? They're building the wall, but at the same time, they're constantly watching for the enemy. Yeah, so so they were, the enemies were attacking the Jews for building, having the audacity to build this wall around, massive, around the city of Jerusalem, right? And their first weapon was mocking. They started mocking the Jews for doing this great, undertaking this great work. Well, then they threatened attack, but they didn't really attack. That's the end of the story. You can look back. Hindsight's twenty twenty. But the Jews at the time didn't know that they were threatened with literal attack while they were building the wall. So two things. They, it says verse uh, nine in chapter four of Nehemiah says, "We prayed to our God, and we set a guard against them day and night." Mm-hmm. So they prayed and they took action. Here's something that we can apply to the church today in our Christian lives. We pray pray about it, surrender it to God, and then don't just say, okay, God, whatever. You have to move. You have to take action. And then what you just said, they were battle ready. This is verse uh, 17 and 18 in Nehemiah 4. It says, with one hand, they worked at construction on the wall with one hand. And with the other, they held a weapon. Mm -hmm. They were ready at any point. They really were convinced the enemy was going to attack at any point. And there were just gaps in the wall around the whole city. So they had to be ready. So they're working for God, ready for battle. Amen. And so uh, the verse that comes to my mind is 1 Timothy 4.1, which reminds us, uh, that basically everything we are lamenting and observing in the church today is a fulfillment of prophecy in a sense because Paul tells us the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, hmm. giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so uh, well, I guess in some ways we shouldn't be surprised, but at the uh, same time, because we're prepared for that, because we know God's Word tells us that's hmm. coming, we ought to have an answer. We ought to have something uh, uh, to be able to respond to that. So I think your emphasis on spiritual warfare is absolutely critical. Uh, we talked a lot about 
that here at Plum Creek Chapel in our Spirit of the Antichrist uh, series that, that really reminds us that we are battling against unseen enemies, Ephesians chapter 6. Yeah. And uh, so uh, as you think about you know apathy and so forth, what is the number one weapon uh, that the church should have in its hand while we're doing the work of ministry with the other Well, hand. the sword of the Spirit. Amen. <laughs> it's yeah, the only the offensive Bible. weapon, right? That's right. And by yes. the way, we're supposed to be on offense because Jesus said we should be storming the gates of hell. Mm-hmm. It says the gates of hell. What are gates? Gates are defensive, right? Revelation to some of you right then. Yeah. Gates are defensive. Gates of hell, not the gates of heaven. So the enemy is not storming the gates of heaven. The church is supposed to be storming the gates of hell. Well, what does that look like in our lives? This attack, instead of waiting and, and then we're attacked and then we pray and, and we're already being attacked, you know, flaming arrows in our backside or whatever. <laughs> no, we're supposed to be on offense. But it's hard, it's a lot, it takes a lot of work to be biblically prepared, to be grounded in the word, rooted in the word, and then to be able to stand and be able to be salt and light. And what does that mean? That's a whole nother uh, topic, but what does that mean to be salt and light? So we've got to be active and out there making influence. That's being on offense. We are to be the aroma of Christ, as it Second Corinthians four, I think, says. So this is all about the spiritual nature of who we are as new creations in Christ, as believers in Christ. Uh, we are set apart, and we should be, but we are also to be in the world making impact for Christ. So. What percentage do you think of, and I know this is just a dead reckoning on your part, but of, of churches in America today are really preaching the Bible as the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices? Do you have a guess? Like authoritative? Like, yeah, like this the, is like the only standard. Yeah, the inerrant, authoritative, inspired Word of God as the only standard. What percentage are preaching it? Yeah. 25 Wow. So I would have said five. So you're more optimistic. Well, I am optimistic. Yeah, I'm yes. more pessimistic. You're more optimistic. But you're a Packers fan and I'm a Cowboys fan, so that follows. Um, but anyway, uh, no, I really think uh, even if we're either of us are correct, it's a sad reflection on the church today, anywhere from five to 25 percent. But to me, that's the difference between a Christian worldview and a biblical worldview. A lot of people say, I have a Christian worldview. Well, that just means they, you know, they're not Muslim, they're not Buddhist, they're not Hindu, you know, they, they subscribe to Focus on the Family, they listen to Christian radio, so I've got a Christian worldview. Well, that's different from a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview says that this book is the only standard for all decisions that we make. In other words, when making decisions, what does the Bible say trumps everything else mm-hmm. when making that decision? And I think more and more, uh, we especially saw it with this uh, the uh, medical tyranny that was oh. rolled out over the last uh, almost two years now, uh, when so many churches allowed the government to tell them when they could meet, where they could sit, how many people could come into their church, how, what they could mm-hmm. sing and how they could sing it, and, and yeah. whether they could open their doors or not. I mean, to me... That's a direct violation of the Word of God on so many Amen. levels. So I would say uh, I, my gut tells me it's far less. And having traveled uh, the country and spoken in a lot of churches, I think uh, it's a sad state of affairs. Well, 25 to 5. This brings up another kind of topic in that there are categories of, quote, Christian mm. churches. Yeah. We, we didn't, I think we talked a little yeah, bit about fair, that. Yeah, all fair, yeah. Yeah, so there are some good Bible-believing churches that do believe the Scriptures are authoritative, but yet, for whatever reason, they avoid Bible prophecy. They avoid Daniel, Revelation, Ezekiel, whatever else. It might be either too controversial or there's unknowns or they haven't studied it or they went to the, a certain seminary that just taught about church growth and, and how to run your church like a business instead of being you know, yeah. a, a church. Um, so there's a problem there. There's a category that doesn't teach that, but yet they believe the Bible is true, but they are not as effective, and I believe they... I don't know, I think it's between them and God Yeah, so they that, shy away from certain teachings. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about this on the Stand Up for the Truth radio program before, but I call it the 84% club because you can't say, I believe the Bible is our total one and only standard and then ignore 16% of it. And as we've said, you know, roughly uh, 33% of the Bible is prophecy and half of that has yet to be fulfilled. So if you're ignoring what the Bible says about future things and mm-hmm. what's to come, you're, only, you're, you're ignoring 16% of the Bible. And this, what he just said, because they're ignoring that portion of Scripture, for whatever reason, um, 
leads them to want to invest more in this life. Amen. What's the most, one of the most popular books? Have your best life sure. now. Yeah. Yeah. Do Christians really want their best life now? Do we really believe that this is a, can be our best life? That you'll never have a, a, a death in the family, you'll never have anyone with a sickness or disease or a trial or a tragedy, and that this is getting better? This is, this is the kind of thinking that damages the church, and yet you know who is the best-selling author. Yeah. And a lot of churches, they, their books are right there. And So I really get a little disheartened when be, a lot of believers are following that kind of mentality because it just takes you to this, like I said, the cruise ship mentality. Look out for number one. Try to have as much fun and leisure as you can here in this life. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches suffering. The Bible teaches there is a cost. We don't like to hear that, that you have to deny yourself. If you really want to live for Christ, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They hated me first. So uh, it's, it's just a, a lack of perspective and context about the abundant life. You've got to really define that from a scriptural perspective, not from a psychological or motivational speaking perspective. Yeah, Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most pitiable. So it's not about this life. Jesus didn't die on the cross, shed his blood so that you could be happier. (laughs) He died on the cross to rescue you from the penalty of sin, which is eternity in a literal place of torment called hell. Now, it is true that those who by faith have trusted in Christ and then are born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus, have a new outlook. So we now look at the life as look at life through the lens of a child of God, a born again Christian who has different priorities, different perspectives. And so, of course, we're going to have more fulfillment and contentment and a a better outlook on life. But that's not why Jesus died. Our life on earth is just a speck on the timeline of eternity. Amen. And Jesus didn't go to the cross to atone for the sins of the world just to, so that we could have a better and happier life on earth. Yeah. And we need to remember that. And so, yes. yeah, I think, uh, you know, back to the churches that ignore parts of the Bible, that, that's a good point. If, if you were, you know, if I were speaking, strictly speaking of those who, who do think the Bible is the authoritative Word of God, mm-hmm. maybe it is 25%. But then you've got to call out of that those churches that don't handle it correctly, Accurately handling the word of truth, yes. Cutting straight, as we're talking about in our (laughs) midweek service here at Plum Creek Chapel. And so for that reason, you know, you mentioned Old Testament prophetic books like Ezekiel and Daniel. Well, they may teach those, but they spiritualize them, allegorize them. They don't take them in their literal grammatical historical context. So therefore, they miss out on the future promises to Israel, the promises of a literal a kingdom and a literal throne and a literal temple. And uh, so I think they're they're missing out. And when you take those out, you get to 5%. And so I was right. And by, <laughs> which is really all that matters. All right, yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, it's interesting. I, I did a sermon several years ago. What would Jesus say to the church in America? Hmm, that's a great one. And you can just think about that. And something we have to go on is how he addressed the seven churches in Asia Minor in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And I like to think of America, unfortunately, I call it the United States of Entertainment, but we are the Laodicean church. We are lukewarm. And Jesus said, I would rather have you be hot or cold. Because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Um, in Laodicea, there were, there were underwater aqueducts, the this, this system of getting water. I think Hierapolis was one of the cities mm-hmm. close by. Yep. And uh, I think uh, Colossae. Colossae. Mm-hmm. One of them had hot springs. One of them had cold, refreshing water. I don't remember which is which. Both of, but both of which were useful. Yes, yes, right. yes. And they were not within 12, 10, 15 miles of Laodicea. Laodicea had this underwater system, and when visitors came and took a drink of the water, they spit it out because it was lukewarm or tepid or maybe not that clean. So when Jesus said that to the church, they knew the Christians, believers at that time, knew exactly in Asia Minor what he was talking about because visitors would spit out this water and that he gave a picture of how he sees a lukewarm church, a church that is not passionate for the things of God. Yeah, and so the, a lot of people misunderstand that passage there in, in Revelation 3, and they think that you know, Jesus was saying, you either need to be completely an unbeliever or on fire for, for me, but because you're lukewarm. No, that's not the contrast between cold and hot. The contrast was between useful 
water and unuseful. And, and, and if you were hot or cold, you, you served a purpose. But if you're lukewarm, there's really nothing. I mean, what can you think of you use lukewarm water for? It doesn't taste good. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not something you yeah. put it in your soup or you drink after you know, working outside in the yard. So, yeah, I think that that's a great description. A lot of people have made that comparison that it seems like the church in America today uh, has become the Laodicean church. Now, we weren't always that way. In the early no. days of this country, especially with the, the Plymouth uh, crowd that came over and the Puritans, they were on fire for the Lord. They were seeking freedoms. But it didn't take long for Satan to get his hand into the early days of this church. And, and I think that, uh, biblically speaking, we know that it's getting worse and worse and worse. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. So you know, we've got you know two hundred almost two hundred fifty years now, and, and look where we're at. Yeah. You know? So your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now back to today's Stand Up for the Truth with David Fiorazzo. Where do you see the trajectory going? Is there hope? Do you think there's a chance that there we could see widespread revival break out and the church return to its biblical moorings? What, where do you see us going? Yes, yes, no. Okay. <laughs> um, there's always hope because we have a hope that the world does not have. Suicide rates right now are off the charts. I mean, with the teenagers confused in the government-run uh, anti-Christian godless uh, school system, and I say that because I come from a family of teachers and my sisters and my cousins and, and a dear friend of mine who retired recently. So I know how the educational system has changed. But because of the transgender ideology and the, the uh, gender surrender is what we often refer to as, kids are being con- really confused. They're getting it from Hollywood. They're getting it online. They're getting it at school seven hours a day. So what do you think they're going to come home thinking? They're, and if they're in a Christian family, it doesn't mean they're not, still not going to be questioning or confused. So, and plus the teaching of evolution. They're thinking, if I'm just by accident, this is all random and there's no God and I have no real a purpose in life, that's a completely different worldview. And it is a hopeless worldview. It is a, this life is all there is. It's a survival of the fittest. So the suicide rates are off the charts. And we've got to minister to these young people that are hearing this and believing this. But yet there is always hope, though. The biblical worldview, the true gospel, is a hopeful thing, recognizing that this life is so short, but we have hope we can do something now to make an impact for eternity by loving our neighbors and sharing the truth and just being who God created each of us to be with the talents and abilities we have. So there is always hope, and we await that blessed hope, the return of our great God and Savior. We have something the world cannot understand. Of course, they cannot discern it spiritually, but they cannot understand this hope. So they are hopeless. So we, we can shine this light into this dark culture. So that's where we have hope now in our purpose in Christ and then what we have to look forward to. But will there be... Uh, revival. Pockets of revival, I believe, are happening already. We just don't hear about it. Uh, there are, there's a pastor in California. Uh, there's just different places in the nation where they're preaching repentance, repentance, repentance. Interesting it's come back to that, right, JB? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Repent, for the kingdom of, yeah. hand is, <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But repentance is the message. Repent and believe the gospel. So there are churches. North Carolina, I think, is one of them. And uh, so there are some. But I'm an optimist, and yet I don't see it happening nationwide. I think we've had opportunities where the church and Christians in America have had our backs up against the wall so many times, whether it's, it's court cases, court decisions. Think of 2015. They just wiped out the, the will of 31 states, I think, and the defense of marriage in all these states, and they've legalized gay, quote, marriage, which is not marriage, as you know. But they, the Supreme Court did this, and now it's the, quote, law of the land. Wait a minute, that's not constitutional. I thought the legislative branch was the one that makes law, not the judicial. But anyway, this is what, and our backs are get up against the wall. Then Christians were discriminated against. Then they went into, into bakers and florists and, and bread and be- breakfast owners and photographers and Christian business owners and said, you're not going to serve me, I'm going to sue you. And so it's been a battle in the courts. But if, as a church, if our backs have been up against the wall so many times over the last 50 plus years and we haven't gone to our knees, gone to our church, gone to our knees and gathered the, the, the congregation and prayed and sought God, and we haven't. Yeah. 
And so th I, that's why I don't see a true revival. I hope there's going to be another awakening. And, and look at what happened with COVID. And what happened last year, our cities were burning. And it was justified. <laughs> Lawlessness was justified. Do you know that fifth, in, a, in a survey of people under 40 years old, 58% of them said what was going on in the country all summer long was justified. 58%. Mm -hmm. so, so you're saying one murder, as tragic as it was, the murder of George Floyd, one murder was enough to say theft, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, looting, rioting, violence, vandalism, burning buildings, blowing up cars. And by the way, there were dozens of people, including black business owners in some of these cities that were killed. Yet you can justify all this because of the Marxist movement and the idea of Black Lives Matter. But this is where we're at. And the church didn't, I don't know, I didn't see a lot of resistance, did you? Yeah, we were distracted. Well, I highly recommend you pick up the book, Canceling Christianity. But you talked about repentance. Of course, the biblical concept of repentance means a change of mind. And so what people need to do is change their mind about Christ and recognize that He alone is the only one that can forgive sin and give them the gift of eternal life mm -hmm. and therefore trust in Him alone. Changing your behavior, which is always recommended. If you're involved in terrible, sinful behavior, we recommend you stop it because it won't end well. But changing your behavior does not get you into heaven. Even if you're trying right. to be a good person, that's a behavior. Co that's a behavior. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. And then uh, also just wanted to clarify that when we talk about you know, you can't uh, be an, a homosexual Christian or a murdering Christian or even the, the so-called little sins, right? Coveting Christian, <laughs> jealous Christian. What we mean by that is Christ does not condone those things. Certainly Christians sin. We know that. We talked about that the last couple of weeks in our main service. Uh, so we're not saying that if someone is doing something like that, they're definitely not a Christian. In the last year to year and a half, the most common or the most important question in people's minds are about religious freedom. And it has been about wearing masks or the vaccine mandate or the religious exemption. Uh, my, my husband is concerned he's going to lose his job. What should we do? And do you know where we can get a, a religious exemption? Do you know of a pastor who could sign it for us or whatever? So that is the most recent. But before that, it was, where can we find a good Bible teaching, true Bible-believing church, sound doctrine that, that teaches the whole counsel of God, including Bible prophecy, and uh, treats these scriptures as authoritative, and the pastor is not afraid to go outside of church walls and discuss politics, culture, social issues, biblical, moral issues, right? But a lot of pastors don't. So that was, used to be the most common. But more recently, it's, it's all about the medical tyranny, the vaccine mandates, religious exemptions. What do you think we can do to prevent any of this happening, getting going further? We get a lot of questions on that topic. And we do have uh, a medical exemption letter that we've uh, provided many, many dozens of people now. I think we're up to 50 or 60, getting lots of great reports. Easily two-thirds have been successful. So if you know of anybody that needs one, they can contact me either through Plum Creek Chapel or Not By Works. Depending on what they want, we'll do it on either, either letterhead. So There's so many ways. Love. Speak the truth in love. I used to, about 10 years ago, I think I was talking to Jeff or someone before, after the service today, I used to be a little bit more rigid, a little bit more legalistic, a little bit more in your face, and I don't care what people think. But I learned that that was a little arrogant, and I learned that I wasn't as sensitive to the Holy Spirit and where that person was coming from. So I've backed off of that approach a lot. But I still speak the truth. I try to do it with compassion. I try to find out where they're at and how I would handle someone is ask them good questions. A lot of people have not thought through how they reach the conclusions, even about something as important as worldview. A lot of people haven't thought this through. Worldview, politics, what they believe about God, Jesus, the Bible, or what they don't believe, or why they don't believe a certain part of the Bible. So one of the things, uh, one of the most important questions you can ask is, how did you come to that conclusion? When you ask that question, more often than not, they're kind of taken aback, and they really have to think they don't know how to respond much of the time, which is really kind of astounding. But if you understand that people have a tendency to 
um, believe the, the talking points and, and be deceived and just be, believe what someone else tells them without doing their own study or research. How did you come to that conclusion? That it was okay to be gay and be a Christian and have that, just live that life of what the Bible calls sin, but still say you're a Christian. Or, you know, so another question is whenever they give you an answer, say something, make a, a statement on their faith, the worldview, a doctrine. And if, it's, if, if you know it's not biblical, what do you mean by that? Because they often can't explain it. They'll rattle off something a pre-thought out or someone, something maybe they got from their pastor. And maybe their pastor's not a strong Bible teacher. So what do you mean by that is a great question that allows them to explain further. And what, what I've experienced is they end up sticking their foot in their mouth oftentimes. They, or they can't get out of it or they get upset and they go, Why? Well, what are you asking me these questions for? I just want to know where they're coming from so I can respond more specifically and directly to their, maybe where they got skewed, maybe where they got deceived or are believing something that really isn't right. So how did you come to that conclusion? What do you mean by that? But I would still try to keep the lines of communication open. But what I found is if those Christian friends, oftentimes it's not just an issue of Bible prophecy. Oftentimes it's usually what I call the cult of liberalism that is infected the church in America, and it is a cult because it's anti-Christian and it's unbiblical. And some of the things they are teaching and promoting, um, it would have never flown 75 years ago in this country. They would have been, are you kidding? Get out of the church, leave. <laughs> You're not going to deceive my flock. And which brings up another topic of where are the watchmen. But that's that's one thing I've learned that they, they always have usually a, a, some sort of liberal leaning, a progressive leaning. Um, yeah. So they don't address Bible prophecy. Yeah, and I, I would add a corollary to that. That's the reason it's important for us as believers to not just memorize pat stock answers to some of these worldview questions. Because yes. if the tables are turned and they ask us, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Yes. I, I find a lot of these kids that, that go to these worldview weekends and go to these intensive things where they learn you know, 20 answers to Islam and 20 answers to Jehovah's Witnesses and whatever... They, they have the answers and they can kind of get so far, but if someone that's really uh, knowledgeable kind of counters them and says, well, how did you come up with that? Then they get, they're like a deer in the headlights. So that's why I really believe we need to train them up in the Word Thank you. so that they can go to the Word to answer the questions. So for the same reason that we, we are asking skeptics those questions, we need to be prepared to answer them ourselves. And that's a good point. Excellent, JB, because we have not done generally in the church in America a good job of making disciples, training our own children up to be able to explain why we believe what we believe. We can state we believe the Bible. We can state we believe in God and Jesus. Yes, we know. We know the Easter story, but why? And you can go so many directions with that. Well, look at the evidence. Look at the fulfilled prophecy. Look, just, just go on down the list. Jesus' appearances. He said, Isaiah wrote 400 years before Christ, specific details about the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled them. And then when he was on the earth, he said he was God. And here's what I'm going to do. And it's, um, they're going to kill me. It's going to take three days and I'll rise from the dead. And, and everything happened. And he fulfilled so many prophecies. Most of us can't even predict the ending of a football game, what the score is going to be. And there's hundreds of prophecies that have been fulfilled. Now, you, you want to talk about the evidence you know, the, the, the archaeological evidence tend, tend to... No, there's more than that. There's tens of thousands of archaeological digs or finds over there that confirm either people, places, or events that are written about in Scripture. And they're digging up something. And every time an archaeologist finds find something, they go, oh, well, there's something in Ezekiel about that or whatever in the Old Testament. And the, there's another, another atheist goes, oh, because there's enough evidence that demands a verdict. Remember that old book in the 80s, I think it was? Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell. Yeah. But people don't want to hear the evidence. But there's enough. So we have enough that we can answer why we believe. First of all, um, or why are you a Christian? Well, first of all, I'm not a Christian because I, I'm looking at, uh, for a happy life. I had a happy life before I was a Christian. I'm a Christian because it's true. And no other worldview gives me what the Bible and Christianity offers. And I could no go on and on. But no other world you solves man's sin problem. That's Amen. the bottom yeah. line.
Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. How can Satan uh, know what's going to happen in the end and still do what he's doing or think that he has power? Well, he's not all-knowing, so he doesn't know everything. And he is not all-powerful, only God is all-powerful. But yet, he's given free reign by God, who is sovereign over him. So, uh, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians, I think, where it says, he's the ruler of this age, or the God of, small g, God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. So, he does have some power. Uh, What he thinks, I don't know, because it's pretty foolish. If he knows, he's cursed and he's going to come to an end one day. But I don't know that he thinks that far. I know he understands there's things that have been prophesied. And I think he's tried to prevent some of that from happening about Jesus, the Messiah, when he came and how he wanted to kind of thwart that plan, but he couldn't. So he is not powerless, but he doesn't have power over believers. He only has as much power as we give him. But he's a very real entity. The devil is real and he's, he's uh, our enemy and he hates us. Uh, anyone that's a representative of a child of the king, anyone that's a representative of Christ, you're on his list, you know, but, but he is not all-powerful, and he can't foresee the future. Am I accurate in saying that? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. I uh, couldn't have said it better. I think uh, a verse that comes to mind is John eight forty four, where Jesus said, Satan is a liar from the beginning, and when he speaks, he speaks from his own resources, because that's all he can do. He can only lie. And so what liars do is they lie, and, hmm. and liars not only lie, but they're deceived themselves. That's the reason Second Timothy 3.13 says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Satan is deceived. So the reason he can read, because he's smart, angels are actually smarter than man, and, and, and demons are fallen angels. Satan's the prince of demons, so he was an angel. Uh, they're not subject to human frailties the way we are, which makes our mind you know, struggle, and sometimes we don't connect the dots as well. So he's very smart, and he's read the Bible. He just doesn't believe it. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. So he knows what the Bible says, well, it's he in, doesn't believe it. It's interesting you say that, because in James it says, even the demons believe, and they shudder. But when, when it says the demons believe, they don't put their faith, hope, and trust in God, and they don't believe in Jesus as Messiah. They just believe that it's true, right? No, what I think that? that passage is a little different. In the context, he's talking about the unity of God. So he says, James says, he's talking to a hypothetical objector and says, you believe in the unity of God, that God is one, which is the Jewish, the Shema, right? Yes. Here at Israel, Lord, God is one. You believe that and you do good. Demons believe that because they've seen it throughout his, history and they tremble. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with eternal salvation there in the context. Demons can't be redeemed anyway. They're right. not savable. So the whole context has nothing to do with salvation, but it does show that demons, when they understand the truth about God, they shudder. Yeah. And I think Satan would never admit it, but I think he's shaking in his boots right now too. Even though he's probably in some sense motivated and invigorated because he sees things lining up and he, like we, thinks, wow, it must be getting close to God's end times plan. So he's marshalling his troops. He's kind of getting <clears throat> things ready the way China's kind of zoning in on Taiwan right now. They're getting ready for something. I think Satan in the spiritual realm is doing the same thing. But at the, in his weaker moments... I think he's shaking like those demons. Mm. It's interesting. The one thing I think in the book of Job, and there's a, there's a lot of things. We're, we're real. We, we, can, we can be honest and say there's some things I struggle with in how God runs the universe, you know, but I'm not God. I surrender to him. He has all, whatever say, whatever he wants to do. But that doesn't mean we can't look at it and go, gosh, did it have to happen that way? Like when he went to Job, or when Satan went to God about Job, and where, where were you or where are you? And, and, he, and Satan goes, oh, I've just been roaming around the earth. He's been given free reign. God allows him to just roam around and affect people. And that's like, going, wow, really? Why did, you know what I mean? So there's some things that we can struggle with. But the ultimate end of our, you know, when the, our progression of logic there should be like, okay, we understand certain things. We don't understand a lot of things. But we trust in God's sovereignty and that it will work out for our good and for his glory. So let me the, this, clarify something first, okay. because I said in What in the World is Going On that the CDC is not a government entity. I think technically they would be listed under one of the government agencies, but they're privately funded. So they're de facto a private 
entity funded yep. by the big pharmaceutical companies. You can go right to their website and look at it. We're talking it. about the Center for Disease Control. Correct. And that, what he just said, is how they can be so big and powerful because they get private funding, like a George Soros or, or you know, the godless, the ones, the globalists, the ones who want to wipe out America, deconstruct America, weaken our economy, weaken our military. They can put, and they can use a virus or whatever. They'll use whatever, right? Because they are godless. They don't have the same worldviews we do, and they certainly don't love America like we do. And so, the CDC can be powerful, more powerful than it was, in, than it was intended when it was created. Because I have a feeling that maybe when it was created, and I don't know how long ago that was. It was for good intentions, and the government was probably seriously looking at diseases and how to, you know, protect the people. But it's gotten, it's just been corrupted, right? But it's, when money will corrupt it even more. Go to StandUpForTheTruth.com. In the upper left-hand corner, there's one word. It says resources. Click on that word, and you'll find a 200 list of resources in alphabetical order of News sources, conservative, Christian outlets, J.B. Hickson, Bible teachers, Andy Woods, different people you can trust, 200, and they're in alphabetical order. That's one place you can go to, to make sure you're listening to the right people. And it's not that there's more than just 200, but that's what we put together. Um, let's go back a little ways. First of all, what we talked about in our conversation is how our American media very rarely talks about one of the most important things we should kind of keep up on, and that's Israel. And what's happening in Jerusalem and the Middle East and what's going on over there. We hardly ever hear anything. And that's, I think that's on purpose. But let me go back to the 1980s because the, the liberal media, which I affectionately refer to as the progressive, liberal, socialist, global, Marxist media in America, there was a survey in the 1980s. And they asked the main head, the heads, the, the people that were doing the news, the anchors on CNN, uh, whoever was around in, in the late 1980s, I don't remember, just when cable was getting going. May have been the early 90s, 1980s, early 90s. And the, the percentages would surprise you then, but today we look back and go, oh, okay, I understand that. Over 60% of the mainstream media in America support socialist policies. Over 90% of them supported abortion. Over, at that time, this is, let's just say it's 1989. Over 75% of those who deliver the news to you are pro-choice, I'm sorry, are pro-LGBTQ and believe homosexuality, there's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with furthering, letting them do whatever they want to do in our country, you know what I mean? In the schools or the transgender agenda. So these are the people they report the news to us. They have their, I have my biases. I admit, I'm a Christian, I'm a conservative, I admit my biases, I try to look at both sides and I try to reason, but they have their biases and they're not, they're not, they're acting as if they don't. They're acting as if they're reporting the truth and the facts and they are not. They're opinion driven, they're ratings driven, it's all about the money. And so we have to recognize that and that's what got me writing in the first place and when I started writing my first book in 2011, I had been studying and writing blogs before my first book. And I would go to Google, and I would go, okay, I know that was at, um, where was that, CBN News or Decision Magazine or something. I remembered an article from somewhere, Breitbart or wherever, and I went, okay, where is this? And that's oh, not there. And I go, I had to literally scroll through four, five, six pages of search results to get something I knew was there, but... The, those won't come up at the beginning. It's all the progressive socialists. It's all more often than not. And that was 11 years ago. So that's why I got angry and I had to write. And I, I wrote a chapter on media bias in my first book on culture and blotting out God in America. And that's the, the media is one of the evils in our country because we think it's news. And like you said, they are not reporting, especially what Christians want and need to hear about. They make it political, and you can kind of tell their leanings, obviously, they're Democrats. And that's another th way they answered the question. Um, I think, in fact, I think it was at that time, um, between 85 and 90% of them gave to Democrat campaigns. And this was in the late 1980s, early 90s. Imagine what it is now. So we've got to be real and understand this. It's very sobering when you think 
But I turn on the news and I gotta listen to somebody. You still have to try a little harder to find someone you can trust. This is something that really astounds me that it started with the masks, forcing masks on children. And then it was uh, maybe the tr couple transgender issues. And then it was the guy that running for governor said, you know, uh, teachers decide what to teach. Parents don't have any say or however he worded that. And it's like, okay, they've been saying this or believing or living like it for decades. And all of a sudden now there's pushback. So I think what did you say? Perfect storm. Is that what you said in Virginia? Loudoun County, from what I understand, is one of the most liberal in that state. It's probably the reason Virginia is a blue state instead of red. And I think that's just south of D.C. Is that Loudoun County? Yeah. So, I mean, they've got the globalists, the socialists, the progressives. But there are still some parents there that want their kids to learn <laughs> and not have this, you know, hyper-sexualized curriculum shoved down their throats at the youngest and youngest ages. And then have this transgender ideology that is really, it's, if you think about it, I mean, it's, it's first of it's not biblical, but even it's not. It, you think about all the reasons that that is wrong, but they're they've, they're getting away with it. So they're finally saying, "Well, wait a minute, all this is going on." So I think that county and that it, there it was a big, it was a powder or a powder, powder keg. It was ready to blow, and so that it just happened to me that election was coming up, and he said the wrong thing. He triggered parents even more who had already been going to the school board meetings. I wish that would happen across the country, but I wished it would have happened in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed. I wish that would have happened in 1962-63 when prayer was taken out of schools, when the Bible was taken out of schools. I wish that would have happened in 2015 when they legalized same-sex marriage. And, you know, I, on and on and on. You can go with these court cases or these decisions or these common core. And then they, you know, said, okay, well, we're not doing that anymore. But they just changed the name. They're still teaching it. They didn't. Yeah, they didn't eradicate all the public school textbooks and, and republish them. It's, they're still there. So anyway, it, it's interesting. I, I, my question is, I was, well, why? I don't know. Maybe they, it was the right timing for all this stuff to come together. And maybe, maybe the Democrats said, ah, we're going to let that one go. We're going to just let them lose that. Maybe the, well, the Republicans or the conservatives will get overconfident now, thinking that next year's midterms are going to be a blow. I don't know. I can't uh, understand what, yeah, what's Yeah, we'll going never underestimate the enemy, right? Yeah. That's what they say. So who said that? Some president. Um, anyway, <laughs> World War II era, I think. But um, so I, I do think to a certain extent they have maybe did overplay their hand. So kind of here's, here's how I personally kind of interpret what happened in this last election. I'm not sure I'm right because we don't really know. I mean, who knows? They're so deceptive it could be part of a more complex plan. But I really, sometimes I feel like Elijah, you know, that we, those of us that are standing firm for biblical truth, we're thinking, oh, we're alone. And God says, no, no, I've got 7,000 more out there. And I think this was a reminder that as powerful as the Luciferian elite are, they absolutely cannot control every single local election down to the school board, city council, you know, level. They just mm -hmm. can't. They don't have the manpower to do it. They just, I mean, it's pretty easy to control national elections once they went to a digital tabulation system, which I've been decrying for 15 years, uh, bought and paid for by the Chinese. That's easy. It's just a couple keystrokes in a cubicle. But it's very difficult to control everything. So I do think a lot of what we saw happen was uh, organic, and it was good, mm -hmm. and it's a reminder that there are still good god yes. people out there, yes. that uh, we're not alone. Whether that's enough to redirect, I kind of doubt it. I think it's a blip, but it's a good blip, and we'll just continue to trust the yeah. Lord, and maybe we'll see more in the next election. You know, who knows? Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating not only that it happened, but where it happened, you know, in that county in Virginia and, and the governor's race. Hey, American Family Association and other organizations, nonprofits, uh, Christian organizations have been trying to do that. Um, they even had a campaign years ago. I think that's a good idea. I wouldn't all boycott everybody because then you're going to not be able to have any food or, or you're not going to be able to have a car. You're not going to be able to wear those jeans because of the company, right? What the corporation stands for. So you can't boycott everybody. But several years ago, they started a Merry Christmas campaign. And they have buttons that say, Say Merry Christmas. And they send those out. And when you go into a store, you're supposed to pay attention to whether they say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. 
And if they say happy holidays, say, well, Merry Christmas. And if they don't respond, you just let the American Family Association know that, or, or you can, if you want, just ask the employee, hey, are, are you allowed to say Merry Christmas? A lot of them will just tell you, no, there's, there's my employer will only let, let us say happy holidays. Right. So I will, I will tell people, go to the stores that are proudly in their advertising mentioning Christmas. You know what? I'm already seeing ads, by the way, for the Christmas season. And you know what they're saying? This holiday, why don't you buy a big diamond ring or a big car with a bow on it, big Lexus, like we all afford that, right? But seriously, this holiday, but we're kind of becoming immune to that. It's like we hear it and, and we don't, yeah, well, what holiday are you talking about? Happy holidays. You're talking about Thanksgiving. You're talking about Halloween, President's Day, what's holy Veterans about Day. Or what's holy about Halloween? Yeah. They're not so, holy days. And I know we're, Christmas I don't, is. Yeah, I don't mean to be splitting hairs about you have to say Merry Christmas or you're not a Christian. No, I'm not doing that. But we have to recognize where do you want to spend your money? A company that's got Merry Christmas and they're proud to say it like a Hobby Lobby? Or do you want to go somewhere else where you might have to pay a little, or, or you can get it on a better deal, but there's Christmas is not mentioned anywhere. There's a lot of red and green in the store, a lot of Santas around there, a lot of Christmas carols playing that don't mention Jesus or anything about the real meaning of Christmas, but it's commercialism. They're, mar they're making money off of it. So that's just one idea. So yes, I believe that can be effective if enough people would do that. I just don't know there's, if there's enough grassroots efforts to do that. No, based on the Bible, obviously the mark of the beast is not operative today. It will not be operative until the Antichrist has been on the throne for three and a half years. And so, but we can see the stage being set and we know the purpose of the mark of the beast during the tribulation period and the technology behind the, these mRNA injections could easily be used and adapted for global tracking, you know, uh, communication, uh, turning on, on and off your, your ability to buy and sell and cross state lines and so So the technology could be setting the stage for that. Uh, I, I think it's a profound similarity. And we've, we've said that, you know, in conservative Christian circles that study Bible prophecy for 40 years, you know, when UPC codes came out or the RFID chips and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that to sort of look at technology and say, huh, this might be something that Satan could use to achieve his agenda during the end times. But never before has it been so profoundly wow. global in, in its scope. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's something to definitely uh, uh, keep an eye on. And we say Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Father, thank you so much just for your incredible goodness. And thank you for uh, calling out uh, great men of God like David Fiorazzo and using him to help uh, educate the body of Christ and uh, just sound the alarm in many cases and encourage us uh, to do the right thing. I pray that you'd continue to bless his ministry and give them wisdom and direction as they make uh, decisions uh, both as a family and in their ministry. We pray for his sweet wife, Rosanna, pray for her physical health. And Lord, we just pray for a safe journey for him as he heads back now to Wisconsin. So Lord, may we leave this place uh, better and more knowledgeable about you and what you're doing in this culture and also more equipped uh, to tackle the issues at hand and we pray all this in jesus name amen, amen. amen. hope you enjoyed the q a for more info on dr jb hickson go to notbyworks.org coming up on monday steve smotherman pastor of legacy church in albuquerque new mexico haven't caught up with him in quite some time religious freedom will be a huge issue on monday john leffler on tuesday and another week of some outstanding guests. Thank you so much for your support and your prayers. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.